They said, quote unquote, how would you like to be in a movie? Previously on Texas Twiggy. Here's what I mean. In addition to more than a dozen film roles, Shelley, I found out, had revolutionized the genre of television, putting the Showtime channel on the map with several of her own productions. She'd worked with a heaping handful of superstars, awards upon awards she'd won, not only for acting, but for producing and programming. There's even a Peabody in there. And she, she was always babysitting and uh, feeding us, you know, making sure we ate and all that while because my mom worked. So Shelly Shelly was always there for us. She liked to be different, you know. I mean, she didn't want to be the be like most of the sorority type girls, you know, that, that stuff. Kind of went her own way in, in senior high and all that. I mean, the pictures of her and stuff were funny. Why, in the mid-1990s, did Shelley's many production companies suddenly go under? Why did she lose the rights to her shows? Why did she vanish from Hollywood? Where is she now? Welcome to Episode 2 of Texas Twiggy, a podcast about Shelley Duvall. I'm Emma Lehman, a longtime Shelley admirer and the producer and narrator of this podcast. Today, I'll tell the story of how Shelley was discovered, how she launched a career in Hollywood, and we'll talk about her first two films. Then, I'll send some letters. After high school, Shelley went to junior college. She was pursuing chemistry, splitting her time between school, modeling, and working at Foley's which, as far as I can tell, was a regional department store, kind of like a Macy's. You know, she, uh, she was modeling, you know, for Foley's, was, you know, a chain store here in Houston, but, uh, well, everybody knows Foley's. Everyone knows Foley's, says Shane. Joke's on him, though, because I do not. She describes her job as, quote, showing ladies how to look pretty, spraying perfume and tying scarves. It was modeling for Foley's, actually, that acquainted her with her first husband, Bernard Sampson. Uh, I was 20 years old and still living in Houston, Texas, but I was very naive. Here she is in that Cannes Film Festival interview again, after having gotten the award for Best Actress in Three Women. I had a party one evening, and it wasn't unusual for people to come to the party that I didn't know. It was the late 1960s, and Shelley was a socialite. Partially because of her modeling, but also just for fun, she went to the kinds of parties that attracted artists and their patrons, a sort of upper crust of Houston with windows to the Hollywood world she would soon inhabit. It was at one of these parties, while modeling a Rudy Jernreich cutout swimsuit, that she caught the eye of an artist named Bernard Sampson. According to Shane, Bernard and Shelley were a power couple. But they got it annulled. They didn't stay married long. But Bernard, Bernard was always Shelley's actual true love. They didn't stay married, that is. But they did marry in 1970 with a small ceremony that even her brother remembers only vaguely. When I ask if he has photos, he shrugs. No phones, he explains, but he's sure he could dig something up. Marriage was not really Shelley's thing. She and Bernard had their marriage annulled amicably in 1974, and she never married after that, even to the man she's been with for the better part of three decades. 
She never changed her name, either. During my research, I found another marriage announcement in the 80s for Shelley and an actor named Stanley Wilson. Shane does not have fond memories of Stan, actually, and says they never married. But yeah, it was, uh, but no, she was never married to Stanley. I knew him. I met him several times. Personally, I, I didn't care that much for him. It must be true, because after this errant announcement in a local paper in 1981, there are no marriage records and no divorce records for Shelley and Stan. So really, all we know is that he made what Shelley refers to as a great English pudding and was the town barber in Popeye opposite Shelley's olive oil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, she, and, uh, and she dated, uh, you know, she dated Ringo for a while. This is a clip from my first interview with Shane, this one over Zoom. The Ringo to whom he's referring here is, of course, Ringo Starr of Beatles fame. Oh, I didn't, I have not seen that anywhere. He's actually listed as a Beatles girl if you look it up. Shelley Duvall, Beatles girl. But anyways. It was in this Rudy Jernreich swimsuit that Shelley attended a benefit for the recent Apollo disaster. Why swimsuit modeling was an element of such an event is still lost on me, and met Bernard. Shortly thereafter, they married, and it was because of Bernard's paintings that Shelley was discovered as an actress. Shelley, you know, she said sure, and then when she told my parents the next day, they, of course, kind of freaked out because they thought it was maybe some porn films or something like that. You know, they were totally skeptical and going, no, you know, what, what do they want you in the movie for? It was at another party, Shelley was hosting this time, to sell Bernard's paintings, that she was discovered by director Robert Altman, beginning a decades-long 10-plus film partnership that would define and kickstart Shelley's career. She tells the story well herself. Here she is talking to Terry Gross in a 1992 NPR interview. I'll let this tape go for a bit. Shelley's voice is easy on the ears. Would you tell the story of, of how you were first cast in your first movie, Brewster McCloud, directed by Robert Altman? Sure. Well, it all started with art, I guess. And uh, my boyfriend at the time, I was, this, I was 20 years old. I had just dropped out of uh, a junior college. I decided to take a six-month rest from my science uh, endeavors because I didn't like vivisection. And um, I was taking a, a break. And I gave a party for my boyfriend, who's an artist. And I was showing his paintings to just some friends of ours. And there were only about 20 people there. I mean, quite often we would give larger parties and his parents' friends would come to our parties and we would, we and our friends would go to their parties. So it wasn't unusual one night when three men walked in whom I didn't know. And one of them said, um, after they saw the paintings and heard my spiel, uh, they said, uh, we have some patrons of the arts for friends. How would you like to bring the paintings up, say, Wednesday at one o'clock? I said, well, Bernard has to go back to art college outside of Dallas, so he won't be able to come, but okay, I'll do it. And I brought the paintings up Wednesday at one o'clock. My mom dropped me off, and um, I went through the whole speech about you know what the artist was thinking. And there were a lot of patronly-looking gentlemen sitting in a semicircle, and I figured, well, they must be legitimate art collectors. And instead of saying at the end of my speech, instead of saying, we want this one and this one and this one, they said, quote unquote, how would you like to be in a movie? And I thought, oh, oh no, porno. 
So I started packing up. I was scared to death. I thought, oh my gosh, my mother's gonna kill me. My father's gonna kill me. I'm really scared. So I started packing up and I was rushing toward the door with the paintings. And I had one hand on the doorknob and the other one with the portfolio under my arm. And they said, well, wait a minute, this is for real. This is for MGM, you know, the lion that roars. And this is Robert Altman who just did the movie called MASH, which opens today. Would you like 10 free tickets? And they said, um, I took the tickets by the way. And uh, they said, well, wait a minute, just give us a telephone number where we can reach you and let us take a Polaroid picture. So the Polaroid is of course with me with one hand on the doorknob ready to leave. And I wish I still had that picture. And uh, the telephone number I decided to give them just in case was my father's office phone number. Now my dad's a criminal lawyer. <laughs> I figure <laughs> if they can get past my dad, they must be legitimate. She brought the contract home, and to hear Shane tell it, the Duval parents poured over the document with skepticism. My parents had uh, Lou, Lou Adler and, and Robert Altman bring the contract over to the house and show them the contract. And of course, my dad and mom read it. But they came over and went over the contract and everything. My dad looked it over and all that. And it was legit. It was a, a contract to do three films, you know, that Robert Altman and Lou were going to produce and direct. And uh, they were for uh, MGM, I think it was. So now this story has been told and retold. I don't know how many paintings she sold. Altman himself called them unremarkable. But he and his crew, under the guise of setting up a meeting with art patrons in the area, told Shelley they were interested, and the rest is history. In every telling, Shelley, her brothers, and her parents were very skeptical. Invariably, someone thinks it's going to be porn. My bad and mom thought it was like some porn deal, you know? <laughs> but, of course, it wasn't. Altman, who Shelley calls Bob, had found his star actor in Shelley and would cast her in almost a dozen more of his films. And it wasn't until I finished my third picture, which was also with Bob, which was here at Cannes three years ago, Nous sommes tous de Valère, Thieves Like Us. And um, it wasn't until then that I decided to make a career out of acting. Shelley and Bob got along famously, unlike Kubrick, whose cruel method direction landed Shelley in such poor health that her hair was falling out in clumps. Altman's approach to filmmaking put the budding actress's real personality and even her scriptwriting skills to use. You think Robert Altman made a mess of the army in MASH? <laughs> Wait till you see what he does to the cops in Brewster McCloud. Shortly after she was discovered, Shelley took her Polaroids and was cast in her very first role, Suzanne Davis in the dark comedy Brewster McCloud. Or maybe the Houston Strangler is the lovely Suzanne. Like many Altman films, Brewster McCloud somewhat evades explanation. The protagonist, Brewster McCloud, who looks a lot like if Where's Waldo had a son, lives alone under the Houston Astrodome Stadium, where he dreams of being able to fly. He sets out to construct himself a set of wings, helped only by a woman named Louise, played by Sally Kellerman, who is perpetually naked and has scars on her shoulder blades as though she'd once had wings herself. You told her everything about yourself, didn't you? But we have to fly away. She serves essentially two purposes, and those are to be a manic pixie dream girl and to warn Brewster that if he has sex, he'll lose interest in his dream of flying. I don't like it to see you again. Always. Forever. 
Meanwhile, a bunch of racist assholes get murdered by a serial killer, and the infamous San Francisco supercop, Frank Shaft, which is one of the most aggressively masculine and hilariously fake-sounding names I've ever heard, notes that every victim has been pooped on by a bird. This leads him back to Brewster, you know, bird guy, who expertly avoids the police with the help of his still inexplicably nude Suzanne. But eventually, Brewster commits the cardinal, pun intended, sin of hooking up with an Astrodome tour guide named Suzanne Davis. That's right, Shelley Duvall. I won't spoil it, but suffice to say, Shelley's Suzanne, with her big doll-like lashes and thin curtain bangs, is quite the trouble for Brewster. I started racing to forget this guy I was in love with. His name was Bernard, and he was a really neat artist. He used to do etchings on cider bottles. But his daddy was rich and made him cut his hair and go into politics. Evidently, he didn't get too far, though, because he's only a secretary. Anyway, the whole deal made me so mad, I broke every one of his cider bottles. Brewster McLeod was the first film that Bob... Can we agree to call him that? I've heard so many interviews where Shelley called him Bob that to call him Altman or even Robert feels wrong. So from here on out, Bob is Robert Altman. It was the first film produced by Bob's production company, Lionsgate, Crucially, this is different than Lionsgate, you know, the one with the cloud intro, and is, in fact, two words, Lionsgate. This is confusing as hell and will cause problems later. And was the first movie shot inside the Houston Astrodome. Shelley and the Astrodome's filmic debut was generally well-received, though critics were in the same camp as I am, which is the I liked what I just watched, but I have no idea what it was camp. But that's Altman's signature. Shelley's next film was an Altman picture as well, Three Women, in 1977, the one that would, about 40 years later, land in my movie library. Hi there, it's me, Emma. I hope you're enjoying Texas Twiggy so far. If you are, consider supporting the show on Patreon, where patrons get special bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and a neat little sticker. This episode's bonus content includes photos from Shelley's modeling days and a copy of her marriage announcement to Stan. Tears start as low as $3 a month and help keep the podcast free and its research thorough. Go to patreon.com slash texastwiggy to support today. The idea for Three Women actually came to Altman in a dream. Stuart remembers the incident pretty vividly. I didn't get to ride in his truck, but Stu and I met over Zoom to talk about Shelley. I think my favorite story from Stu, who is a really likable, lively guy and can really tell a story, is the one where he tries his first bagel at age 21, and Shelley gets a call from Bob about a dream. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as I said, you know, I used to go visit Shelley every summer. And uh, she was uh, living with Patrick Reynolds, who was uh, one of the sons of the R.J. Reynolds family, you know, tobacco. And they were living in one of the original old Hollywood palaces and everything up in the hills. And Rudolph Valentino owned one of them, the famous actor from the 10s and 20s and everything. And so I would go visit her and it was a fantastic place. And the Hollywood sign, you'd look out their master bedroom and the Hollywood sign was right freaking there. It was just way up there, man. It's so badass. I was visiting them there, and uh, it was uh, a Saturday morning, and uh, her two Dalmatian Great Danes, Athena and Troy, were sitting around the house, and she's making bagels, cream cheese, and strawberry jelly. 
I know that because it was the first one I ever had. And I thought, what the fuck is this? And it was, it, it wasn't a donut or anything like that. It was a bagel. And I had never had a bagel before, you know, a hard bagel. And she said, oh, you're going to love them. So we're having that. And we're sitting there having coffee and everything. The phone rings. Shelly's in the kitchen, you know, and all this. She goes, oh, hi. Hi. How you doing? You know, hi. How you doing? And I'm over there, you know, by the, the table and everything like this. You know, like that. It's, it's Robert Altman. Oh, yeah. Hi. You know, you know, small talk and small talk. And this small talk goes on for like 30 minutes. And she's going, you know, uh-huh. Wow. Okay. Wow. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. You know, just small talk. She's not talking at all, really. She's not answering too many, asking too many questions or nothing. You know, she's just listening to Robert Altman. I mean, who doesn't just listen? I mean, like, if Steven Spielberg calls you, for God's sake, you just sit there and listen. You shut the hell up. So, uh, so she does that and she goes, wow, that was Robert. He had a dream last night and he wants to make a movie of it. And he wants to call it Three Women. I went, what? And she goes, yeah, he just asked me to be in the, in that dream. And that's how the movie came about. So a few things. First, Three Women was indeed a dream of Bob's, which he felt strongly enough about to make a production team go into the Coachella desert and recreate. Second, I don't think I really realized this until after our interview, listening back to the tape, but this was a fully grown man telling me he had his first bagel in his 20s. Third, Shelley wrote a significant portion of this film. Her character, Millie Lamoureux, monologues for a good bit of the film, and Shelley wrote these monologues while on set. Here she is explaining her process to interviewers at Cannes in 77. Um, Bob allows you that freedom. And, like, for instance, one day at lunch, he said, okay, Duval, you can't have lunch today. And I said, ah. And he said, uh, you have to write the scene for, for this afternoon. So I went and I got my lunch, and I sat in a room by myself, and I wrote the scene. So. Not only that, but Three Women itself started out with no script at all. Je crois que Robert Altman vous demande toujours, demande toujours à ses interprètes de collaborer au scénario. Est-ce que vous avez travaillé sur le scénario? This interviewer, also at a French festival, if you couldn't tell, asks Shelley about improvisation, and Shelley, ever the bilinguist, responds in kind. Did we improvise? Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, we we didn't have a script. We started shooting. With only, only seulement uh, 14, 14. 14. Uh, pages of script. But after the first week shooting, uh, we wrote it as we went along, and Bob allowed me to write much of my own part. She's not credited as a writer, nor, for that matter, are any of the other actors who contributed to their own lines as Bob was apt to allow. But she did get the Palme d'Or at Cannes Film Festival for Best Actress. Three Women is a movie I simply cannot describe, so I'm not even going to try. I just urge you to watch it. It's so weird, so adept at slithering its way under your skin and staying there long after you've finished it. It'll stick to you. I love it so much. Dear Diary, September 19th. I have a new roommate. Shelley's character in Three Women, Millie Lamoureux, really is her own creation. This was a theme throughout her career, too. Shelley always brought something of her own to her characters, but in Three Women, it was especially obvious how much of her character Shelley herself had crafted. 
Edgar pulled one of his tricks on Pinky. She fell for it till the end. She sure doesn't have much to her name, but she does have a sewing machine and maybe will make me a new dress or something. The visuals of this thing, too, are just, well, I'll stop. Can't spoil it. Anyway, we're all settled in. Shelley's three-picture contract with Bob turned into five films. Brewster McLeod, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Thieves Like Us, Nashville, Buffalo Bill and the Indians, six if you count three women. For almost ten years, Altman worked closely with Shelley, who became almost his muse. You can see her acting skills evolve throughout these films, or rather, develop. Images and the long goodbye, Robert Altman has proven to be one of America's most original and exciting filmmakers. Now, Robert Altman presents his most original and exciting film, Thieves Like Us. I want to quote an interview she did with Roger Ebert in 1980, where she invited him to her Los Angeles home. Ebert writes, I sipped my cup of constant comment and enjoyed being with her. Shelley Duvall is like a precious piece of china. She looks and sounds like almost nobody else. And if it's true that she was born to play the character Olive Oil and does so in Altman's new musical Popeye, it's also true that she has possibly played more really different kinds of characters than almost any other young actress of the 1970s. In all of her roles, there is an openness about her, as if somehow nothing's come between her open face and our eyes. No camera, dialogue, makeup, method of acting, and she is just spontaneously being the character. You sense that as much in Three Women, where she flirts with men who ignore her, as in Thieves Like Us, where she smokes a cigarette like nobody else, or in Nashville, where she's a goofy groupie, or in Popeye, where she wrestles with an octopus. Shelley cites Thieves Like Us as the first film for which she had to really act, that is, play a character so far outside of her everyday demeanor that it was clearly different from herself. What are you doing? Maddie, let go. Pull all those men out there. <laughs> it's also the film for which she started smoking, Parliaments, and has since. After 1974, it's rare to see Shelley without a cigarette dangling from her first two fingers, ash a mile long. Thieves also went to Cannes, though it didn't win anything. Eventually, of course, Shelley flew the Altman Coop and began to work with other directors, first Woody Allen for the film Annie Hall, out of which comes one of my favorite lines in cinema. Sex with you is really a Kafkaesque experience. Though that comes second only to another line of hers in Brewster. Diarrhea. That's tough. Hope it wasn't from eating Mexican food. That's bad. But that's when I usually get it. Have you ever had diarrhea from eating Mexican food before? I like your car. And then The Shining, which we will of course come back to. Her next Altman film in 1980 was Popeye, in which she played olive oil in a casting that fit just so well, and not just because she looked so much like Olive that it was her nickname in high school. And Popeye, oh man, Popeye is a doozy. Hey, it's Emma. Just calling to see if you've subscribed, rated, and reviewed Texas Twiggy on your platform of choice. 
You can find the podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Radio Public. Wherever you're listening, it helps out a lot if you follow, subscribe, review, rate, and comment on the show. That's all. Talk soon. It's a sunny Friday, and I'm crouched on the floor, tri-folding ten copies of the same printed letter a dozen times, stuffing them in envelopes, and then taking them out and refolding them, because wow, how hard is it to fit letter paper into a business envelope? I'd done several hours of internet detective work, crawling through forums and archives with the zeal I hadn't felt since I first started compiling facts in my notes app. My quest was simple. I wanted to know. Sure, a huge part of this podcast is the analysis and appreciation of Shelley's catalog of acting and producing, but let's be honest. We all want to know. What the hell happened to her? So I found some possible addresses. I'm sure you get plenty of people reaching out to you, and throughout my research, I'm somewhere maybe. It feels only right that as part of a quest to create something true to your legacy and ongoing impact, I speak to the real show. And sent an identical letter to all of them hoping that at best I'd get a reply, and at worst, some of them would bounce as undeliverable. And then it's just a matter of process of elimination. And then I found her address, and then... ...and my own pocket change. And it would mean the world to be able to speak with you. Yours truly, Emma. Um, well, I didn't really have an end then. Maybe, if Shelley wrote back, I could call her. Or email her. Maybe I could even meet her. Next time on Texas Twiggy. The disaster that was the production of Popeye is twofold, and each part is related to a Bob. We have Bob Altman, director, also known in this episode as Regular Bob, with his absolutely asinine overspending and overcreating and overbuilding and honestly just overdoing of this film and its set. Then we have Bob Evans, known in the industry as Cocaine Evans, the producer of this film and the provider of mountains and mountains and mountains of cocaine to the cast and crew. And Malta supposedly have the right climate. They supervised a 165-person construction crew from June to December 1979. They built 19 structures, and they're all full real structures. They're not just false fronts. It was a hotel, a schoolhouse, a post office, a church, a sawmill, a tavern, a casino, as well as gangways, boardwalks, sheds, and timber shoots. All of it worked. Hundreds of logs, thousands of wooden planks were trucked from the Netherlands across Europe to Italy, then shipped to Malta. Eight tons of nails, 2,000 gallons of paint were used. They had to build a 250-foot breakwater so Sweet Haven wouldn't be washed out to sea as they were finishing it. I just... Anyways, Cocaine Bob was called onto the set as it became clear that Regular Bob was running the project into the ground. He was throwing booze-fueled dailies, which is the word for when actors huddle around to watch that day's tape, and also just absolutely destroying everyone's nasal canals with thousands of dollars worth of cocaine. Shelley has three brothers, Scott, Stuart, and Shane. Unfortunately for me, there are a lot of Scots, Stuarts, and Shanes in these great United States, but I know a few identifying details from a few interviews and articles that led me to what I can cautiously identify as the right Shane. He's mostly bald, with a big white beard not dissimilar to a certain jolly fellow. 
In his profile picture, he stands with his arms crossed and a big grin on his face in front of a sunflower field. I can see the resemblance. Thanks to my patrons, Ken Lehman, Xavier Hamill, Jose Armenta, Kavid Dassity, Sharon, Sarah Elizabeth, and Sophia Polito. Texas Twiggy is reported, narrated, and produced by me, Emma Lehman. Our music is created and mixed by Olivia Springberg. Our research consultant is Sarah Lukowski. Special thanks to Avery Erskine for transcribing interviews, giving notes on endless drafts, and proofreading scripts. Join me next week, and don't forget to rate and review the show on your podcast player. And tell a friend. Maybe two.